0: Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Catholic voice in America. On this show, I talk about the important things that no one else is talking about, like why the world isn't working right now. The Protestant Reformation is over. Christians now have more commonalities than differences, yet evil is spreading and the enemy is winning because we're still fighting each other over self-righteous labels and high-level theology. If you disagree with me, then you're part of the problem. Listen. As Christians, we're all baptized into God's family. We all want heaven, and we all struggle with the same human brokenness. United we stand, divided we fall, it's that simple. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist who was almost murdered twice, but God spared me because he had a higher purpose for my life. My mission is to unify Christians everywhere. This show was created for you, the person who wants to be accepted and loved and reminded that God has a higher purpose for your life. Let's get started. Today, my featured guest is John Meyer. And John Meyer is the executive director at the Napa Institute. You can find him at napa-institute.org. That's Napa, N-A-P-A dash institute dot org. And John Meyer is the executive director there. He's also served in that role since June of uh, 2014. Now, John and his wife, Kristen, were married in 2005 in Chicago. They currently reside, reside in San Juan Capistrano, California. Um, I, I lived in California. It's a beautiful place. As converts, John and Christian share a love for the Catholic faith. John was raised a non-denominational, in a non-denominational Christian church in Oakburg, oak brook Illinois, and entered the Catholic Church in 2009. Uh, In Chicago, they volunteered and served on the local board uh, for several charities and parish ministries. John decided to join the Napa Institute team after feeling called to serve the church in his professional career. Now, one thing uh, you know on the show, Broken Catholic uh, Nation, is that um, I really stand for uh, bringing your faith into your business and bringing your business into your faith and that they become integrated so that you're not living this uh, duality. You know, I call it bipolar Christian. It's like you're Christian on Sunday and then like, I don't even know what we are sometimes Monday through Friday, you know? Um, So prior to his role, uh, John spent 10 years in commercial real estate. So he's a business guy. In 2006, he co-founded with Kristen uh, Capital Commercial Real Estate Inc., a commercial brokerage firm uh, based in Chicago. Licensed in seven states throughout the United States. As a broker, John specialized in retail multifamily development. Uh, Kristen Meyer, his wife, currently serves as the president of cap- uh, commercial, uh, Capital Commercial Real Estate. I'm getting tongue twisted today. Uh, John received his undergraduate degree in economics from the University of Illinois in 2004. In 2016, John began to pursue a master's of theology degree from the August, uh, Augustin uh, Institute. So, John, that was a lengthy bio, and you know, bios are just formal, right? We just get it out of the Absolutely. way just to give my audience context. But I want to know who the man is. So, go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you?
1: Well, yeah, and I, I think um, the conversion being the first thing for your listeners. You know, um, grew up like many uh, in a in a faith based home, non denominational kind of meaning, essentially like like a mega church. Um, not yeah. a lot of direction, but a lot of a lot of good feelings and. Um, I think that gave me a solid background, um, but a lot was missing. So I actually met my wife in 2000. We uh, we worked together um, in high school and then started dating in 2000. And at that point, she had just come into the Catholic Church herself in 2000, but she had come in with no faith background. So um, you know, we uh, I pulled her right back out. I, I would I hate to stay. So you know, it was it was easy pickings as I think she went through a, what I would call a drive-through RCIA. I think uh, many of our RCIA programs are inadequate. And, hers was was exceptionally bad. So um, we were married in a Presbyterian church, um, really kind of fell away from our faith in our 20s. And then in our late 20s, you know, some things started happening in our lives, some crises and other things that just made us feel a call to explore more. And we met a wonderful priest. And he started me on a journey, which made me fall in love with the faith, you know, especially in an intellectual way, studying the faith, learning the faith, things started to make sense for the first time, I think, uh, when I found the Catholic Church.
0: Mm. How did uh, your wife and possibly you get past, like you mentioned the RCIA program was pretty much abysmal, um, you know, that she went through and and I could speak to that firsthand. So I know exactly like you just hit a nerve because I taught that at my church. And every time I would try to teach Um, What I knew to be the truth and the beauty behind like our beliefs and everything, it would get stifled from the top down somehow. And um, eventually I was just like, you know what, Uh, we need to part ways. So I really get that. Like, how did you guys reconcile that uh, second go around?
1: Um, well, you know, when you I, enter the, the second RCA program was probably the best one we ever participated in. The one we participated at St. Isaac Jogues, Hinsdale, Illinois. So outside of Chicago. Um, very good program. Um, still needs more, though. I think anyone who's seeking um, to join the church really needs to commit um, and kind of do some study on their own. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit like we always say all Catholics have to be converts or not Catholic. You know, it's uh, people who grow up Catholic at some point in their life need to make the faith their own. And if they don't, um, then they're probably just going through the motions. It's probably more of a social exercise for them than an actual true faith journey. So, um, making the faith your own at some point in your adult and committing to the study of that faith is very important. And, um, you know, we were very fortunate for the right people to come into our lives. You know, my father's a fallen away Catholic, so I have a lot of Catholics in his side of the family. Um, you know, some of my Catholic heroes, I got a picture of my great uncle with uh, Pope John Paul on the wall right next to me here.
0: Nice. Um,
1: so I feel like for me, it was a generation vacation and God puts the people in your life that you need to, to make that that next step. It's just, you have to answer it. Um, if you think RCIA is going to provide you everything you need, then you know, you're probably not going to be around in five years. Just like kids that go through confirmation and never commit beyond that, they're not around either.
0: I really like what you said there. Um, and I know with uh, my Protestant brothers and sisters, uh, this is the bone, one of the bones they have to pick with the Catholic church is, Listen, the reason why we do baptism as adults is because we really want to commit to living this faith out. And as Catholics, you do it as kids, but you didn't even know what you're agreeing to, right? Your parents baptized you. And we're like, yeah, but that's why we have confirmation. And But many of us don't take confirmation very serious. Uh, you know, it's at 12, 13, 14 years old, somewhere within that age bracket. Um, and I think what you brought up is, is a great insight that we need some kind of reversion um, back into our faith as an adult to say, hey, I truly choose this and now I'm going to live accordingly, which means I may have to change my behavior, which is the thing we don't want to do. And what shows up also, for you in that?
1: I also think a lot of the Protestants get baptism wrong in that um, besides for its implications on original sin and other things, baptism is about divine filiation. It's about becoming a member of God's family. And we want to do that early on. Um, now, you know, once you're baptized, a Catholic, you're always a Catholic. Why? Because you're always going to be a member of that family, um, God's family in his church. But, you know, it doesn't stop there just like it doesn't stop with, you know, first communion and confirmation. So if anything, I think baptism's in the right spot. I think confirmation could be, um, done better or maybe moved to a better spot. Um, but I actually think baptism is in the perfect spot. As soon as possible, we want to remove that original sin. We want to bring people into um, communion to God's family. So um, you know I, I don't think people really understand that that you are truly a son or daughter of God, and you are that through your baptism.
0: See, I love that. you just brought that up, right? Because to me, if I just dumb that down for me to digest, I would just say, well, baptism equals adoption. Exactly. right. Baptism equals adoption. That's it. You're adopted into God's family. Now you got to live in the father's house. Well, what does that look like? Well, there's rules in a house, right? Like if you're a little kid and you're an orphan and and you're at an orphanage and parents come in and adopt you, you now go to live with them. You've been chosen, handpicked, selected, but now there's rules in the house and maybe you were running free and chaotic and you just had no rules, right? And and this is, I think, uh, what a lot of us don't want to do is when we you know, get baptized is we don't want to change the way we used to live. And that's the rub. Go ahead.
1: Well, I think in in authentic faith, um, you know, one of the most misunderstood things in the Protestant world is the idea of faith in works. Like um, they always think that we justify um, our salvation through works, which is not true. Our our salvation comes from faith alone, but works are a result of them. Um, What you're hitting on is exactly that point. Faith, if not lived out fully, if, if, if your life isn't fully transformed, is not authentic faith. You never come to Jesus and leave by the same path. So when you, mm-hmm. when, you, when you arrive at faith, you should not go home the same way you came. And um, I think that's very important. I think one of the things a lot of people miss in, in Christianity in general today, both Catholic and Protestant, I had a, a conversation with who I think is a very wise friend the other day. and We were talking about the idea of um, how Christ is our Messiah and Lord. And how it's easy. Everybody understands the first part. Messiah, I need a savior. Everyone knows we're broken. We need a savior. So I want Jesus, my Messiah. But do I want Jesus, my Lord, the lordship. Does he have lordship over my life? That's the hard one. And that's the one that most Christians just ignore. It's like, well, I have a savior. That's good enough. I don't need a lord. Um,
0: yeah that's really interesting because i think it's the victim mentality that's within our broken fallen nature that says lord help help i'm blind i want to see you know i'm going through this help me with this right like i need you and then when he saves us adopts us in then he's like okay now make me lord of your life in other words you're in my house now now abide by my rules abide with me be in my presence and we're like yeah no like That's the part we don't want or, or we struggle with. I, I love this point that you're bringing up. So uh, let's get into a little bit of uh, your deeper into your faith journey. What was the thing that... Uh, When was that first moment where you truly experienced God in your life? And I don't use this term generally. When I say experience God, I believe that 90%, it's actually 97% uh, statistically of people have never truly experienced God in a tangible way where they truly believe they've come into contact with God and they'll never be the same. Like you're saying, if you're in the presence of Jesus, you never leave the same way. When did that happen for you? Uh, give, give us that short story. Really take us deep there.
1: Well, I, I don't think there's anything sensational there for me. It was more of, um, you know, as I, as I grew closer to the church and grew closer to, uh, to Easter Vigil in 2009, our church had a perpetual adoration chapel. I think the quiet of prayer with God in the Blessed Sacrament, with Jesus there present, um, gave me a peace, a peace still to this day that I struggle to find. Adoration is very difficult to find in Orange County. It's very easy in Chicago. But, you know, overnight adoration in that chapel in a peaceful, prayerful setting, allowing God to kind of open your heart. Like you said, total surrender, the the lordship idea, total surrender. You said something early on about vocation. We talk a lot about that at Napa, understanding that your vocation is not just if you're a priest or not. Your vocation is whatever you're doing in life and bringing God to that spot. You know, we're at this very important uh, point in time at this specific place and God has placed us here. So what's our job here? And I, I think that God touched me in a very special way um, through prayer in that chapel. In fact, my favorite place in the world is still that Adoration Chapel in Hinsdale, Illinois. Um, by far, the most peaceful place I can find myself. Um, and you know, it, when you look back on your journey, you can kind of see how God placed you here. One of my biggest struggles with Napa is understanding that ten years ago I wasn't Catholic. Now, now I've been running a Catholic organization for five years, one that's been tremendously successful the last five years, and you know, understanding that God gave this all to us, and that it was our, it was the path he intended all along. Um, we just had to cooperate with the grace to get here.
0: When, uh, describe for us a time, a moment, a story of when you resisted, uh, what which, what, where God was leading you in taking on this vocation.
1: Um, when we first took it, it was scary. Um, you know, like I said, we had a background in commercial real estate. We were, we had a life there in Chicago. Um, you know, I met Tim Bush, the founder and chairman of NAP Institute, in May of 2014. They wanted me to start in June of 2014. Three weeks later, and um, it, it was a scary moment for us. And it, it, we were very close to not doing it out of just fear of what, what it, we don't know. California, it's kind of a crazy place. It's you know, what's this job? It, our security and real estate? Are we giving all this up? And you know, trusting God's grace, you know, it's, it's. I, this is what we talk about with lordship, allowing God to be Lord of your life. Um, you know, lordship's hard because God's going to ask you to do hard things. Um, he's always going to do what's best for you. It's not always going to be easiest for you. So could be, is working in commercial real estate where we were comfortable with our friends and family in Chicago, the easiest path? Yes. Was it the best, best path for us? No. Um, and, you know, it's easy to say that looking back, but I think when we first started this journey, we were very close to not starting it at all.
0: Mm. Uh, you know, when you just bring up God's always going to ask you to do, you know, difficult things. It's like this yeah. is this is what you're signing up for. I I look at it this way, especially in the Catholic space, right? And I love my Protestant brothers and sisters. I married one, right? She's Baptist. She still is, and and that's totally fine because as I see it, we have the same foundational beliefs sure. in Jesus Christ, right? So we can work with that. It's definitely workable. So you know, uh, being able to Uh, take on um, the cross that comes with Jesus. Like we can't accept Jesus without accepting his cross. Why? Because he, he, Kind of uh, meshed the two together when he was crucified on it, right? He he ended death as we know it, etc. So the cross is now part of him; he's part of the cross. And to take on Jesus means to take on the cross, right? And but we don't want the cross in our life. And and I compare it to military branches. And this is just you know joking around, having fun. I have no preference here. But um, I I look at uh, you know other uh, faith traditions as you know, the army reserves or, you know, the Coast Guard reserves. And and a lot of people just want to dabble and just kind of wear the emblem and have the name. And then uh, I think of, you know, certain Christian faiths and especially Roman Catholic is kind of like the special forces, you know, you're going all the way. This is like sniper school. You know, Delta, right? You're 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 specializing in something. And and I know my Protestant brothers. One thing they would pick on me a lot. They're like, man, you Catholics, you just do so much extra stuff. And I'm like, yeah. So what? You're not gonna like us because we do more than what we're asked for? Like, is is that wrong? Well, no. I guess it's not wrong. So. Like what shows up for you in that? And, and maybe you have a comment, maybe you don't, either is fine, yeah, but I, go ahead. I
1: think what you said there um, is a kind of a playful version of what the church says. And that's that there's truth in all religions and truth in all denominations. It's just the fullness of truth is here. And it, when we talk about bearing the cross, um, Catholics actually have an advantage here because we have redemptive suffering. We understand um, what crosses are about. You know, my wife and I aren't able to have children. And that was one of our crosses one of the things that we thought our life would be much different at this point, but God has better plans, you know, what he's done in our lives, um, you know, we spend about 200 days a year on the road for Napa, we're all over the world, really, um, she comes with me, um, thanks mm-hmm. to the generosity of our board, so I think the, um, you know, it's, it's provided us to do things in, in his plan that are different than what our plans would be, you know, if, if 20 years ago, you asked us, uh, or 15 years ago, when we got married, what life would look like now, it would be entirely different, but it's not the best plan. The best plan is God's plan, and I, I think helping our, um, you know, helping look at crosses in a way that we unite them to Christ and and ask for what is His plan in this? Where, where's the beauty He's trying to take out of this? What what good is He trying to make from this? Um, same thing with you know, we've had um, not us personally, but in our immediate families, illnesses and other things. You look at these these crosses that come your way, and and you ask, what is God trying to do here? Um, in my life or the life of others around me? And, and what's my role in it?
0: You know, you mentioned um, that uh, you and your wife are not able to have children. And I can only imagine how difficult that is. And I get, uh, I have close friends here that have been uh, trying to have kids for years. Uh, yeah. It's been a major cross on them. They finally, uh, you know, had God answer their prayers and they got pregnant. And they were just elated as you can imagine. And it was a miracle pregnancy. Like the doctors were like, you're not gonna have kids and everything, right? They got pregnant and uh, I think it was five to six weeks in, they got a a typical call from OBGYN or whatever and they let her know Uh, they had her come in and everything and she had had a miscarriage.
1: terrible.
0: And you could imagine the emotional high and then the emotional crash course like god finally answered our prayers and then he took it back like why why lord and i i know my buddy the husband he he told me he's like joseph i pretty much gave up on god at that point i was done like who are you why would you do that that's so cruel like to even get us excited and everything like that and i know that that probably speaks to you personally in some way or or brings up some emotions like how did you wrestle with that and still remain strong in your faith? Or did you have a, a crisis of faith uh, when you that news was broken to you that you can't have children?
1: Yeah, it, for us, it was a crisis too of, um, of our Catholic faith because if we were um, to use kind of modern medicine, things that the church doesn't agree with, we would be able to have children. But oh. it's our choice um, to not cross that moral barrier. Um, so understanding, you know, um why IVF and some other things aren't aren't appropriate here um, is something that takes a lot of grappling with, and then when you come to to understand it, um, you know, you realize that it's cooperating with God's grace. I think sometimes you know we struggle with that, God answers prayers and sometimes the answer is no, you know it's it's about um, being that co-creator with him, but sometimes he has a different plan for us and it's really hard for us to grasp that. so something like this tragedy happens with your friends and it's really hard to understand, but our prayer isn't to question God or to be angry with God. Our question is, what are you trying to do here? What are you trying to bring out here? How are you trying to use me? How are you trying to use this experience? Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, maybe, maybe these people have this experience for a reason. Maybe they're going to counsel others down the road. I think one of the things that we, um, I have a good friend in San Diego who, uh, comes to the NAP Institute that does counseling for women who are both post-abortive and post-miscarriage, because both of those things have tremendous psychological impact. And, um, you know, she was given this based on her history, and she's done tremendous good for for men and women, both those who have had abortions and regretted them and now are, are coming for kind of post-abortive treatment, and those who are had miscarriages. And, and it's like losing a child. I, um, I don't think anyone who hasn't had one understands that it's just the same as losing a child. Mm,
0: so powerful. And just to wrap up that story of my friend there, um, there was a priest. I, I was like, how did you keep your faith? And, and here's what's interesting. I, I also asked him, I was like, why didn't you reach out to me? Like none of his family or friends knew what they were going through. Right. And uh, I didn't even know they had gotten pregnant. Right, which is ridiculous. Like they were too scared to share it with people, just in case, whatever. And uh, there was so much shame and guilt that he was carrying with this, and that's why he didn't reach out to me. And um, he's like, you know, Joseph, God put a priest in our life, and uh, this priest just became our best friend. And he he would come over and visit with us, and he he got out of the church, and he came to us. He found us, and he heard what we were going through, and he reached out and. He is the reason that we, I have not lost my faith in God because I saw God in him. And yeah. now we're recovering and, and everything like that. And, and, and they're considering, you know, maybe God's using us for counseling to, for other couples, like you said, uh, very insightfully. And so, so, uh, BC nation, I just want to speak to you, whatever you're struggling with, whatever cross you're carrying, just know that God is there. And John raises a great point is ask the right questions. Don't look at it as, you know, the, oh, why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? Those are the wrong set of questions. It only leads to despair and hopelessness, but rather ask, what is God bringing me, uh, you know, to, where is he leading me? Why is he allowing this? What is, God, what are you asking of me through this cross, this sacrifice, this hardship? John, anything you want to add to that?
1: Well, yeah, I, I think it's important, especially if we're struggling with something to kind of go back in our prayer and visualize ourselves at that moment of struggle and ask Jesus at that moment to come and heal us. You know, understanding that God was there with you, but specifically inviting him in. And it doesn't matter if this was a wound that happened last week or or 20 years ago, but kind of reimagining that circumstance and, and asking God to come in and heal you at that moment. Because the problem is, is when we have these tragedies in our lives, if we don't deal with them and ask for God's healing in them, they create sin down the road. It's kind of like that generational sin, that sin that keeps popping up because of some trauma we had in our lives. What we need to do is have Christ come to us in that trauma and heal us. Um, Not trying to understand why things happen, but just asking for God's grace and healing in the moment.
0: John, I think you're spot on. And, you know, I, I do spiritual coaching and, Uh, One thing I teach my clients is the uh, surrender principle is how I coined it. And it's your happiness is in exact proportion to what you're holding on to or what you're letting go of and surrendering up to God. And so many times, most of the time, I would suspect that we hold on to the pain, the hurt, the wounds because we don't understand it. And we, we feel we need to know why it's happening before we can let it go but rather to your point and to what I teach my clients is surrender it up immediately. As you're in it, surrender it so it doesn't take hold and root itself in you like a cancer. Right? So BC nation, broken Catholic nation, the simple prayer is this I've used with all my clients and it works and they surrender it up. They're set free. Just say, father, heavenly father, father, I surrender to you blank and then just fill in the blank. I don't want it anymore. I can't handle it. It's too big for me. Take it from me. I give you 100% control over it. But that's the key words is father, I surrender to you blank and then fill in the blank with whatever your struggle is. Yeah. So John, really great conversation here. We're speaking with John Meyer. Uh, he is the uh, director at uh, Napa Institute. You can find him at napa uh, hyphen Institute org. He's the executive director. So that's Napa-Institute.org. Uh, and John, tell us a little bit about Napa. Take like two minutes or so. And really, what are you guys up to in the world? What is God uh, having you do through this organization? And, and not so much like, hey, here's the big vision or whatever, but kind of like, here's like actual real things that we're doing where God is touching
1: lives right now. Sure. So Napa was founded nine years ago. So right after I became Catholic. And uh, um, the idea of Napa came out of our three founders. So we have three founders, Archbishop Chaput, the Archbishop of Philadelphia, um, Father Robert Spitzer, who's a brilliant Jesuit and uh, used to be president at Gonzaga University, but runs the Magis Center for Reason and Faith. And then Tim Bush, who's a businessman and Catholic benefactor, um, really a great mentor to me in my life. Um, The three of them started Napa based on Archbishop Chaput's letter, Catholics in the Next America. Which talked about how it would be prohibitive, if not impossible, for us to live our Catholic faith authentically in the public square in the years to come. Now that came true very quickly. Um, you know, it's a very hostile culture. They want to um, they want to push the church's influence to as small as possible. And we try to equip people to live their faith in the public square to debate uh, on the real issues of the day: life, liberty, uh, religious liberty issues. Um, Uh, We want them to not be able to say what the church believes but defend why so we do that through conferences We have our main conference in July um, Every year Uh, about 700 Catholics attend uh, mostly from the business leader community, but uh, bishops and priests um, We do an annual conference called the principal entrepreneurship conference in New York City Which teaches people how to live the vocation of business how to bring your faith into your business Uh, We do priestly formation We brought 700 priests through formation last year on things like homiletics and scripture trying to help them be better fathers of their parishes. Um, We do pilgrimages uh, to Europe and Asia. We uh, have symposiums. Uh, We work with politicians in DC, all sorts of different things. But the idea is to inform them on their Catholic faith as it pertains to issues in public life.
0: Uh, So BC Nation, uh, what I'm hearing John say is, uh, it's not enough for us to quietly live our faith. uh, and not be plugged into societal issues. And and I think there's a calling right now for men and women of influence to rise up um, right. and use your influence accordingly and, and to really go out and protect, defend religious uh, freedom, right? Because that's what's at risk right now. And there is a clear attack from the enemy. I'm in total agreement, and I think you have to be blind not to see it, but there's a clear attack from the enemy through the media to shut down quiet hush any speaking of god in the public space whatsoever why because the darkness wants to consume the light that's why but all it takes is one person go ahead john
1: moral relativism i mean people are afraid to speak on lgbt issues or life issues in 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 public with their friends with their family with their colleagues but um we want to give them the courage to do that but more so, um, we want to give them the good reasoning, philosophically, natural law, things behind why we believe what we believe, because the Catholic Church believes everything for very good reason. Nothing is by accident. We didn't decide what we were going to believe on these issues. These are rooted in, in, our, in our church's magisterial teachings and, and philosophy and natural law. So what, when, when the public pushes you on an issue, we want you to be able to win the argument, not just state your opinion.
0: Absolutely. And, and I would even add to uh, not just win the argument, um, but win over the person. Win the soul. Yeah, uh, yeah win the soul, really, because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think, and, and I've seen this firsthand, you know, just with some of my Protestant brothers and sisters, there's this ego and pride that, that comes up of, I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, right, all this stuff. And it's not about that, I don't believe. It's, it's yeah. about an invitation, Um, invitation to growing together understanding each other and just because we worship a little differently doesn't mean we can't be best friends um, and really learn from each other so we're speaking with john meyer uh, executive director at napa institute you can find him at napa-institute.org and john uh, welcome to my uh, favorite part of the show we're going to wrap this up here it's been a great conversation uh welcome to the confession round uh, okay. This is where I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You have about three seconds to answer each. It's just for fun. Don't overthink it. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. All right. What's your favorite thing about God?
1: Um, that he loves me. Amen. What's your least favorite thing? That, uh, there's nothing that I don't love about God, except for that sometimes his path is more confusing than I'd like it to be.
0: Yeah, for sure. What are you most afraid of?
1: what am I most afraid of? Um, I don't, I don't know. We <laughs> all have afraid. something. Um, Be I real. think my, my insecurity is always with, uh, losing my security with, uh, you know, what, what does my future look like? Uh, I'm too much of a future planner and not enough of a God truster.
0: Mm, That's real. What, what did you spend way too much time doing in your twenties? <laughs> um,
1: a whole lot of, uh, um, a whole lot of busy work for nothing. Um, you know, I, when my twenties, I was very self-consumed and so was my wife and that was uh, kind of how we lived our life for a while. So uh, we were so consumed with appearance and outward appearance, not inward appearance.
0: Mm, I, I get that personally. Yeah. What secret fear do you have about people?
1: I think we all have fears of being accepted.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God?
1: Um, that trusting him will always lead to the best possible outcome.
0: Got it. What's a new habit you want to
1: form? Uh, More uh, consistent prayer, especially mental prayer, Um, better examinations of consciousness, better mental prayer daily. I think it's, I I myself find myself so busy and so distracted. I find mental prayer to be difficult. Mm,
0: Amen. Uh, And uh, what's a bad habit you want to break? The
1: phone you know we're addicted to emails and and social media and all this other stuff there's constantly information coming at us and we're we're connected but disconnected so Uh,
0: literally as you got on you know with me like you you couldn't hear me and you were just stuck to your phone and i'm like john hi john good morning john you there john (laughs) so that was a great example that's funny pick
1: three words to describe who you are now um i'm a husband um i'm a conservative i'm a catholic Got it. And pick three words
0: to describe who you were before you experienced God in your heart.
1: Um, Lost, seeking, and um, confused. Mm,
0: Yeah, that's real. And last question, John, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye and give them only one piece of advice, what would you say to
1: them? The only thing that matters in life is your relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: The only thing that matters in life, BC Nation, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. John, any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about having a relationship with God versus not?
1: That life is only fully lived when you have a relationship with God. That there's no meaning or order to your life without him.
0: Mm, Amen. And uh, what's the best way for BC Nation to get in touch with you if they so choose?
1: The website you gave out would be fine. Um, Our contact information is all on there. You can also sign up for our newsletter on the website.
0: Very cool. BC nation, do you love listening to the show, Broken Catholic? Do you love guests like John Meyer, executive director of the Napa Institute coming on, sharing his faith journey, sharing his realness, his vulnerabilities, sharing his struggles, but also sharing his victories and what God's up to in his life. If you do then make sure you subscribe to the show, share the show with a friend. Don't just keep good things to yourself. You can't be greedy with goodness; it's not allowed. So share the show, and uh, I encourage you if you're going through a struggle right now uh, and you're looking for possibly some spiritual coaching, uh, go sign up for a, a, a complimentary spiritual clarity call with me, myself, and I um, at JosephWarren.net. That's JosephWarren.net. I'd love to chat about you know what what do you want in your life right now, and do we want to work together? John Meyer, you are uh, my hero now, my friend. Um, Thank you for being on Broken Catholic. Thank Uh, you.
1: Thanks for what you do.
0: Absolutely. And I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, my friend.
1: Thanks a lot, Joseph.
0: Cheers. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business.